for what you have revealed to us. And God, even now, as we open up your word and contemplate what it is that you have revealed to us about heaven, God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that there are probably things that we've come to believe about heaven that just aren't true. And there's probably way more things that are true about heaven that we have no idea about. But God, you want us to know some things, even right now. So please open our hearts and our minds to what you have revealed to us. And I praise God as we meditate on these truths that you would change our lives and that we would live our lives rightly right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do you picture heaven? I would love to hear you respond to that. It would be neat to just even, you know, maybe you want to do that in your families and you go talk to some friends. What do you think heaven would be like? Do you ever picture it? Do you ever just try to get this, this picture? For some reason in my life, I've come up with this idea of me living in a yellow house kind of on a hill and just down the hill there's a baseball field where I can go and play baseball whenever I want to. And Jesus is either on my team or cheering in the stands or something. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Uh, there's a home. Jesus talked about preparing a home for us. Now, in some ways, it's impossible to picture heaven. And, and even as we begin this sermon series now, by the way, it's a four-week sermon series that we're going to look at heaven through the lens of Revelation 21 and 22. But even as we begin this sermon series, it's impossible for us to envision all that heaven will be like right now. The, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, and I imagine that as he was given these visions of what heaven looked like, I bet he was just dumbfounded at the sight of it, and then to try to have to write what he saw. So the, the descriptions that we have here, they're amazing, but even still, it's just it's hard for us to grasp what heaven will be like. And I think for some people that kind of makes them think, well, I'm just not even going to think about it. But Scripture tells us some things about what heaven will be like. And if God tells us what it's going to be like, what do you think that means? I think it means he wants us to think about it. So we're going to do this sermon series on heaven because I believe that there are things that God wants us to know right now about heaven. Things that should really change and shape our lives. So again I ask, how do you picture heaven? Now I bet for a lot of people and you don't have to raise your hand if this is true of you, but I bet for a lot of people, the first image that pops into your mind is clouds and harps. I bet that even, perhaps for some of you in here, along with this question of what is heaven like, there may be this nagging question in the back of your mind that says, will I enjoy it? I, I think that far too many people have too small a view, a view of heaven. And maybe think of it as clouds and harps, and the, the question that's natural to think would be, well, would I enjoy that? Would I enjoy just sitting on a cloud for the rest of eternity and playing a harp? <laughs> or is heaven, some other people think of it as uh, just a 24-hour-a-day church service. Is that what's heaven like? Just, you know, standing, sitting, singing, listening to sermons? Is that what he heaven is going to be like? Now, I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to enjoy church, and I really do enjoy church, but 24 hours a day for the rest of eternity, is that all that heaven is going to be? Now, don't get me wrong. There are parts of what we are doing here that we will do for the rest of eternity, but at the same time, I don't think it's right to think of it as just a 24-hour-a-day church service because there are other things that we will do there, and that's one of the things that I want to show you through these two chapters of Revelation is that there are things that 
that we don't do in church that we will do in heaven. And one of those, I don't want to give away too much of my thunder, but one of those is eating. There's some couple descriptions about eating that we'll get to, uh, I think, in the next two weeks. But so those those pictures, I think, uh, we need to we need to have our our mental picture of heaven enhanced. It's not just clouds and earth. In fact, it's not clouds because we know that the new heaven and the new earth is a city. It's this wonderful, magnificent city that we will live in. So there you go. It's not just you floating on a cloud for the rest of eternity. And harps, what about that? Well, I heard one pastor say that the word harp could actually probably be better translated as guitar. So in heaven, maybe it's true that we're all going to be guitar heroes. Isn't that (laughs) kind of cool? And then again, I've, I've mentioned the 24-hour-a-day church service. Now, some of you really love singing, and you can praise the Lord. There will be singing there. And not just any singing. It'll be us with perfected resurrection bodies, perfected resurrection vocal cords, singing to the Lord. Maybe we won't have vocal cords. We'll have some way to sing. I don't know what our bodies will look like. But we will have bodies there. That's what the Bible clearly teaches us, is that we will have perfect resurrection bodies. And there's lots of things that we're going to do with those bodies. One thing will be sing. Now, I know that some of you don't like singing, but I want you to understand that in heaven, everything's going to be perfect, and our singing will be a perfect expression of worship. Now, we kind of need to redefine that word worship to understand what heaven is going to be like, because all of heaven will be about worship. Not just sitting in a church service, but worship, meaning every single thing that we do will be an act of worship for our Creator. And it will be a great joy for us too. So what I want to do today and for the next three Sundays is walk through this biblical picture of heaven from Revelation 21 and 22. Now the bummer of this is, is that I, I can't say everything I know about heaven in this series. In fact, there's, there's lots of other passages in the Bible that I'd love to just sit through and you know, make this in some ways a year-long sermon series. But for now, we're just going to do a four-week sermon series on heaven, specifically looking at Revelation 21 and 22. And by the way, when I say heaven... That's kind of a general term. Specifically, what we're talking about here is the new heaven and the new earth. That, that, that's going to be our ultimate place of eternal dwelling with God. Um, the way that Revelation describes the end times is that first, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he's going to come back and, and take us to be with him. And the first place after he comes back that we will live with him will be the millennium. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the millennium, a thousand year reign of God's people with him on earth reigning. But then after that, John received this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the new heaven and the new earth, the place where eventually the followers of Christ, we will live with him forever. And that's always been God's plan, by the way. Don't, don't think that all of a sudden Revelation kind of changed the story and just added this stuff at the end. It's always been God's plan. Twice in the Old Testament and at least one other place in the New Testament, God talked about a new heaven and a new earth, making everything new. That's going to be our final place with him. So it's this wonderful, marvelous description of heaven. Yet I think that probably the average Christian has way too small of a view of heaven. So what I want us to do over these next four weeks is to enhance our view of heaven and really enhance our view of the God of heaven and realize how wonderful of a place he has prepared for those who follow him. You know, one of the reasons I want to do this sermon series as well is because every one of us thinks something about eternity. Even non-Christians 
think about eternity. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. So we know, we know that this life is not it. We know that there's something more to come. And I think one of the tactics of our enemy, the devil, is to try to get us to think too little of it. Or maybe even to think that we won't enjoy it. In fact, I was sharing the gospel with a kid one time, and a kid, he was probably like 15, 16 years old, and we were talking about heaven, and he's like, eh, I don't know. And, I, and I, I brought up the topic of hell, and he said, oh, maybe hell sounds fun. He, he'd been taught that hell was the place that all the bad people go and, and do bad things, and that sounded fun to him. And I think that if we're not careful, we can get a wrong impression both of hell and of heaven. So what I want to do today is I want to help shape our view of what heaven really will be and show you the, the wonder of it so that we can rejoice in the God of heaven and live rightly now. So we were created for a purpose. Let's, let's look at what that, that goal is of what we were created for. And we're going to look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 14 today. Revelation 21 starting in verse 1. And again, this is the Apostle John writing a vision that he, he was given from God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, as I said, we will spend eternity somewhere. And my first point, I have three points today. My first point today is a question. Will you be in or out? This is where we have to start, right? Can't talk about heaven without talking about who gets to go there and who doesn't. So will you be in or out. As I mentioned before, heaven isn't the only place where people will spend eternity. There's a second option, a much worse option, described here as the lake of fire. Or in the King James Version, it's called the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. 
So if people ever ask you if your pastor ever preaches a fire and brimstone sermon, here it is. Fire and brimstone. Let me get my pointer out. There is fire and brimstone. Literally. That's the way it's described here. A terrible, terrible place that some people, according to the Bible, will go to. The lake of fire is described in Revelation as the second death. Now the first death is that we, all of us will die physically. Unless Jesus Christ comes back for us first, every single one of us will die eventually. That's the first death, a physical one. The second death is a spiritual one, and it is eternal separation from God. It is a terrible thing, and I don't want any of you to go there. Our denomination statement of faith describes that place as a place of eternal conscious punishment. It's a terrible place reserved for God's enemies. So heaven is a wonderful place, and we'll describe that soon, but what I want you to realize off the bat is that there's another place, a place where people who reject Jesus Christ will spend eternity. Now to answer the question about whether you will be in or out, which is the important question here, I want to show you the very last verse of Revelation 20. So if you're following along in your Bible, you might want to look there. It's a scene of the final judgment, and there are books open, and people standing before the throne, and they're judged according to what they had done and and what was in those books. And it says in verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a judgment. There's a book of life. And if your name is not in that book of life, you'll be sent to the lake of fire. And that was a terrible thing. And it might seem a little bit arbitrary just from reading it like that, but I want you to know, earlier in Revelation, the book of life is described as belonging to Jesus. It is his book. And whose names are written in that book? Well, it's those who have put their faith in him, who have given their lives to him. So along with this question, are you in or out, I want you to know that there's also an invitation, an invitation for you to come to Jesus. We read about that invitation in verses 6 and 7 of our passage. In verse 6, starting in the middle, it says, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. God wants us to come to Jesus, to come and drink. He is the living water. We are to feast on him, to to drink deeply of him, to give our lives to him. So Jesus offers life. The reason that Jesus had to come is because we're sinners. Dan mentioned this earlier. We are all sinners. Every single one of us had a a death penalty that we had earned. But God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we would not have to face that death penalty. So praise the Lord, Jesus Christ came. And all of us who then receive him as Savior and Lord receive complete forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus won the victory over death. So when it talks about the second death here in Revelation, what I want you to know is that that is a death that you do not need to die. Jesus has won the victory over it. Those of us who have already received him, we've experienced a a foretaste of that victory in the relationship that we have with him now. And we will experience the finality of that, the complete fulfillment of that in heaven when there is no more death. So please understand this. Getting into heaven has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Have you received him as your Savior and Lord? If you want to receive him, you can even just do it quietly right now, just talking to God and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. Thank you for the cross. Please forgive me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. 
In verse 8, there's a description of those who will not gain entrance into heaven. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Those descriptions are descriptions of people who have gone their own way. Now, I don't think what it means is that everybody who has ever lied, take the word liar, for example, I don't think it means that everybody who's ever lied will be banished from heaven. In that case, who of us could get in? I think what it's saying is that those who have chosen a lifestyle of falsehood, a lifestyle of rejecting what is true about God, the people who have rejected that, that will be their final state. The fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now it's a, it's a harsh teaching, but God in his mercy has let us know. Right now we know it has to do with Jesus Christ. So is he your Savior and Lord? That's the key question. And if so, your name is in the book of life and you have eternity to look forward to in heaven with God. And again, I love the invitation here. The invitation, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Uh, That sounds really refreshing to me. Does it sound that way to anybody else? That's what God wants for our souls, that refreshment of soul, eternally speaking. And it's an invitation of life that God gives to us. So if you haven't received Jesus, please do that right now. And if you have received Jesus, verse 7 tells us what to do. He who overcomes will inherit all this. To overcome means to continue to live by faith, to continue to walk in that faith. We said we gave our lives to Jesus, now let's live it out every day for the rest of our lives. That's what it means to overcome. We don't get to heaven by our own works. That's what too many people think. Too many think it's a sliding scale. You know, I'm not as bad as that guy, so I think that God's probably going to let me into heaven. No. If you're going to compare yourself to anybody, it's Jesus Christ. And are any of you in here as good as that guy? No. But, in God's mercy, we can be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ if we have given our lives to him by faith, received him as Savior and Lord. Okay, so that's the first point, in or out, and it has everything to do with Jesus. Second point, in heaven we will have perfect relationships. Now is where we're getting into the description of heaven. And this, I love this one. Uh, The description of heaven in these verses is of a city. I mentioned that before. It's not just clouds. The description is also of a bride dressed for her husband. Both of these words describe relationships. There's no city without other people around. and, And there's no bride without a groom. So what these these words both mean is that there is going to be community in heaven. Fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. Perfected fellowship. Again, the picture isn't just of you alone singing for 24 hours a day. There's community there. There's relationship. And first and foremost, the picture is of a dynamic relationship with God. All throughout the Bible, this is what God has wanted for us. His desire to be our God is wonderfully summed up in verse 3 and I want to reread it for you. John heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now from that verse I want to show you the culmination of two storylines in the Bible. Again, one of the things I love about the book of Revelation it's not like it's just kind of this throw on at the end. It is the, the culmination 
everything about the rest of the Bible has been heading this way. And I want to show you two storylines that have been working themselves all the way throughout the Bible and find their culmination in this verse. First one has to do with the word dwelling. The word dwelling comes from a Greek word where we also get our word tabernacle. Now, when you think of the word tabernacle, what do you think of? You might be thinking of the Old Testament tabernacle. That's exactly it. This idea, what was the Old Testament tabernacle? Somebody asked you that pop quiz question. What was the Old Testament tabernacle? It was the place where God said that he would meet with his people. God, in his mercy, wanted to meet with his people. So he, he showed them, he told Moses how to build this tabernacle, how to build the stuff in it. And when it was built, God said, I will meet with you there. I will reveal myself to you and explain how I want you to live. It was God in his mercy saying, I want a relationship with you. And he did it by showing us the the tabernacle. And eventually that tabernacle became a temple. But then as we go to the New Testament, the word tabernacle takes on a totally different meaning. You know what it is in the New Testament? It's Jesus. In John 1.14, it said, uh, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's that same word, tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us. So if you think about the Old Testament and how they used to meet with God in the tabernacle, what changes in the New Testament and in our relationship with God now is that we meet with God through Jesus. Our worship is no longer centered around a building. In some ways we think of that. We, we think of coming to the church and doing our worship. But really... Our worship now is centered on Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important for us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you lived in Old Testament times, it would have been really important for you to do the whole temple worship system thing, to bring your sacrifices and to worship God the way he prescribed. Now, in the New Testament, it's Jesus. He has tabernacled with us, made his dwelling with us, and we are to have a relationship with him. So God picks up on this word dwelling and fulfills it. In in verse 12 and verse 14, we see that the new dwelling will have reminders of the old, the 12 tribes of Israel, their names on it, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, their names on it. And God is showing that he indeed is the culmination of history. As it says in verse 6, that God is the beginning and the end. And he's showing us his desire has always been to dwell among his people. And now in heaven, it's going to be a perfect dwelling. It's going to be a place of perfect relationship with God. So that's the first storyline, this idea of God wanting, desperately wanting to be with his people and to have a relationship with them. The second storyline has to do with this phrase, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I sent out an email to the church. Those of you that are on the email list, uh, I sent it last night. Maybe some of you saw it. It's a list of 22 verses in the Bible where we see almost this this exact wording. We see this exact sentiment of God wanting us to be his people and him to be our God. Uh, I'd encourage you to read through that list that I sent. And if you're not on the email list, by the way, you can just give me your email address. I'd be glad to put you on it. But... um, Like I said, 22 times in the Bible, scattered throughout the Bible, are these reminders popping up at really important places. I reread through these verses again, and I was just amazed at how important the places are in there. We see this idea of God wanting to be our God, wanting us to be his people. That has always been his desire. Now, we get a, a foretaste of that right now in our relationship with Jesus, but we're going to have the final fulfillment of that in heaven with him where it says in verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with men. 
I love that. He will live with them. He's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. And again, we experience a foretaste of that now, but the perfection of it later. So in heaven, we're going to have a perfect relationship with God. Sin will be taken away. No more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. And because we're going to have a perfect relationship with God, and because there's going to be other people around, it means we're going to have a perfect relationship with each other as well. And I think, I I would say that that is the number one thing that I'm looking forward to about heaven, is the perfection of relationships. Think about your relationship with God right now. And think about how much your sin gets in the way of it. How God desperately wants you to walk with him. But how we so often mess it up by choosing the wrong path. But in heaven then, my God, who I love, I will be able to meet with him without my sin getting in the way. I'll be able to see him clearly for who he is and have perfect fellowship with him. And I am looking forward to that. And then very similarly, with, with you all and with the others of my brothers and sisters in Christ who will get to live in eternity with me. Perfect relationships there. Think of the people that you love the most. The people that you would literally die for. Yet think about how often your sin messes up those relationships too. We want perfect relationships here, but sin gets in the way. And in heaven, we will have perfect relationships with God and with each other. And I look forward to that when my sin doesn't mess up our relationship anymore. I apologize for how that happens right now, but truth be told, I am really looking forward to that time when we can perfectly love each other and love God. That's going to be one of the greatest things about heaven. That's going to be part of our worship experience. Again, redefining that word worship to include our relationships with each other. I just, you know, I picture again in my my yellow house in heaven next to the baseball field and picture you guys walking into my front porch and just chatting about life. I look forward to that. That perfection of relationships. We have a foretaste of that right now. Now we walk by faith, but then we will walk by sight. And as I said earlier, the point of studying heaven isn't just to say, oh, that'll be great, but now it's really bad. No, the point of studying heaven is to say if that's where we're headed, that's the kind of relationships that we should strive for right now. So we should strive for a better relationship with God right now. We should seek to meet with him. That's one of the applications I want you to get from this. If heaven is going to be perfect, then we should seek to know God more right now and experience even more, as much as we can, that that relationship with him. And also that relationship with other people where you're confessing your sins and, and understanding that sin should have no part in these relationships that we have with each other. So get to know God better. He's the one that we're going to be enjoying forever. Let's get to know him more and more now. And I know for some of you, you struggle with that. I mean, we all struggle with that at times. And and if you're struggling in your relationship with God right now, I just want to urge you to keep going. It's going to be worth it. God will eventually bring you into perfection if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and let me just say it this way, and this might sound a little bit strange to hear it this way, but if you don't enjoy God now, I just want to let you know that that something's wrong. And I'm not saying that to blame you, not at all. What I'm saying is that if you're feeling in your relationship with God that something just isn't quite there, it means that something is wrong, but that God can help. So if you're struggling, just be honest with God and tell him, God, would you please help me? I'm not feeling it right now. I'd like to have a a closer walk with you. 
but something's getting in the way. We can talk to God like that, and he can bring newness into our lives, even right now. Okay, so perfect relationship. That's number two. And then number three, in heaven everything will be made new. Again, I think too many people think that heaven will be boring. And I think that that's simply because we have a wrong picture of God. God is the one who is saying here in verse 5, I will make everything new. One pastor described to me heaven as being a place more real than we can imagine. We kind of imagine it sometimes as being something less than real, but heaven is a very real place. And the same pastor described us, he said, it will be you, but an even better you, a new and improved you. So it will be very much you, very much enjoying a very real place. God, think about this. God is making everything new. And is God any good at creating? Um, next time you look up at the stars, or next time you hold a baby, think about how good God is at creating. And then it's that same God who says, I'm going to make everything new. And we get to live in that forever. Now I have a hard time, again, picturing what heaven will look like, but there's some pretty cool descriptions here. In, in verse 11, it uses the word brilliance. It, it tells us of the glory of heaven. Like a, John is trying to describe it, and he says, uh, it's like a jasper, I think. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what was going through his mind. But something, he just described it as awe-inspiring. Now, I'm not much of a jewel guy, but I think that sounds pretty cool. This place is just shining with radiant, brilliant glory that we get to live in forever. What we live in now isn't perfect. We all experience, every single one of us experiences things like the death of a loved one, or crying, or pain, uh, loss of a body part, uh, loss of your singing voice. We all experience the deterioration of our bodies, the deterioration of relationships. That's really what it means for us to live in this place that is so affected by the fall. That's one of the cool things, by the way, about Revelation, is it really undoes the fall. God created, man sinned. And when we sinned, God cursed this earth. And what we see in Revelation is the, the taking away of the curse. And perfection comes again. And again, we've all experienced the terrible things of this world. Mourning and crying and pain. But in heaven, those things won't exist. They will be gone. It says that God will wipe away every tear from our eye. And I don't think that that means that we'll keep on crying in heaven. I think what it means is that God has seen all of our tears and he will finally and eternally take care of them and give us that comfort that we will get to live in for the rest of eternity. Now one of the things I love as a father is to be able to comfort my kids. You know, sometimes when they're crying and they just, they just run and they need daddy or they need mama. And I love being able to take them in my lap and, and wipe their tears away and be able to say to them, it's okay, it's okay. So I want you to think about maybe something really terribly painful that you're going through right now. And then I want you to picture God, your Abba, your Daddy, taking you on his lap and saying, it's okay. Heaven will be a place where God himself will eventually make everything right. So if you live in pain now, God will make that right. If you live in sickness now, 
God will make it right. If you live in broken relationships now, God will make that right. If you don't like your singing voice now, God will make that right. (coughs) Heaven will be a place of total peace and safety with no broken relationships. In verse 6 again, it mentioned that drinking without cost from the spring of the water of life. And again, I imagine that as just being really refreshing. God just meeting all of our needs, fulfilling us in every way. So if that's what we have to look forward to, how should that impact our lives right now? Well, please know this. God sees your difficulties. We've all got them, right? Every single one of us. I don't know if I'd want to hear all that. Sometimes I say, I'd love to hear all your things that you're going... I don't know if I want to hear all your difficulties. I don't think I could bear that. I don't think any of us could bear that right now. But what does the Bible teach us? Cast all your burdens on Him. Why? Can somebody finish that verse for me? Because He cares for you. In 1 Corinthians 1.3, God is called the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The next verse there says that He comforts us in all our troubles. God wants to comfort us now. He also wants us to know that he has a place in mind for all of his children where he will ultimately take care of everything. So the next time you face a difficulty, please understand that God sees it, okay? I think that it's too easy for us to go through these difficult times and and think that God has kind of turned his back on us. No. God sees what's going on and God is with us in the midst of us and wants us to know that he will make everything new. I, I think that's wonderful. So let me conclude with this. Heaven will be an awesome place. Now, you probably didn't need to sit through 33 minutes of a sermon to hear that, uh, to understand that. But let me just say it right now. Heaven will be an awesome place. God is our Father, and He knows what's best for us. If you think that heaven may not be a very enjoyable place, let me ask you a series of questions. Does God love you? Yes? Okay. Is God able to create really amazing things? Yes? Does God have your best interests in mind? Yeah, according to Romans 8, God works, um, God is at work for us who, let me read that, I'm just going to flip to it here. Romans 8, it's a wonderful verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The verses go on to talk about glorification, our, our end goal, God making us perfect. So God, who loves you, is strong enough to do whatever he wants, is looking out for your best interests, has told us that he is creating a place for you. How does that sound? I think it sounds great. And I think what it should remind us is, again, I think the best part about heaven will be God himself and a relationship with him. That God who loves you that much, who loves you enough to send his only son to die for your sins, that God is preparing a place for you. And he wants you to live there. Now, we can know God right now. We can experience a foretaste of that. But we look forward to something even better, perfect relationship with him. He sent Jesus to tabernacle with us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us now. And eventually we get to see him face to face and to live with him. So have you given your life to Jesus? Are you growing in your walk with him right now? Because I think as you grow in your understanding of who God is, you'll, you'll learn to love him more and see that heaven will be a wonderful place worth investing in.
And again, the reason we're studying heaven is because it should change our lives right now. Knowing what heaven is like should give us a right perspective. We should not be living for the here and now. It's too easy for us to get caught up in simply what's going on right here and right now. I think the reason that God has told us about heaven is to pry our eyes off of our own life and to get us to look up to him and say, Wow! Look what God is going to do for his children. And as we look at how wonderful heaven will be, we realize that we should live with that place in mind. In Matthew 6.20, Jesus tells us, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, there's a lot in that verse. And just real quickly, I want to say, Jesus tells us there's going to be treasure in heaven. Jesus tells us there's going to be... He's been there, by the way. He lived there for a long time before he came to earth. He knows it's an awesome place. And it's not just that there's treasures there. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, meaning that there are things that we can do, can and should be doing right now to store up treasures in heaven. What are those things that we do? It's following him. It's knowing him. It's growing in our faith. It's helping others know him. It's worshiping God. Spending time in prayer. All these things that we can do, we can do to store up treasures in heaven. Every single one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. And I hope that what we've done today and what we're going to do over the next three weeks will just encourage you more and more to be in awe of the God of heaven and to rejoice in what he has for all of his children. And may we live our lives right now pursuing him and storing up treasures in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. I'm glad that you have revealed this stuff to us. God, I'm, I'm super glad to know that there is a place of newness and of no more death or mourning or crying or pain and of a perfect relationship with you and with those around us. I'm glad, God, that you have told us that's what it will be like. May we take great delight in that. May we take great delight in you, God. And as we do, may we grow in our faith and live the right way now, storing up treasures in heaven. But thank you, God, again for for that day when we get to see you face to face and live in complete joy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.